Hey everybody, welcome to Between the Horns. I'm Miles Simmons, joined by JB Long, voice of the Rams. It is Thursday, April 12th. It's about 11 a.m. Pacific time here in Los Angeles. And JB, we've got a lot to cover, actually, in the last few days. You know, the preseason schedule has been released. But going back a week, the Rams made a pretty interesting trade, getting that first-round pick um, out of here into the New England Patriots in exchange for Brandon Cooks. What was your reaction to that? Well, I love Brandon Cooks as a collegiate, and it was very apparent that Sean McVay loved him as a professional, uh, and this was not their first go at getting a player of his caliber in the receiving core. It wasn't, I don't think, a primary need for Los Angeles on the football field until the trade materialized in I think he realized how important it was for McVay to continue to bolster his offensive arsenal, even though this offseason, I would say, has been focused primarily on defense yeah. and bringing that up to the championship caliber that the offense has already proven capable of. Uh, I like that Cooks is motivated. I like that the peers and the people around Cooks have spoken well of him, uh, especially his work ethic, uh, his consistency in practice. Uh, he's capable in terms of his production, although I, I do think you have to take his production with the understanding that he's pr played with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks yes. and two really great offenses. Uh, that's going to be the case again here in Los Angeles. I can't call Jared Goff a Hall of Famer yet, but I think he's another great quarterback, and certainly the system that Cooks uh, steps into is a very, very good one. And I, I wonder with Brandon coming uh, a little bit about the the terminology, the the number one wide receiver, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. Because I think it was perceived that Los Angeles lost their number one in Sammy Watkins and how interested were they in replacing him with another true number one, whether it was OBJ or someone different. Um, this is no knock on, on Brandon. I don't think he is thought of or is going to be expected to be the number one receiver in Los Angeles because I don't think that's how it sets up. I think he creates a lot of the, the space and poses a lot of the same threats that Sammy Watkins did, but Robert Woods played like a number one receiver. Yes. He really did in, in every phase. And we all think that Cooper Cup was the steal of the draft and is gonna make vast improvements from his rookie to his sophomore year. Mm -hmm. So I think that plays into McVay's favor. I think that plays into Jared Goff's favor when you have an MVP at running back um, and then you have three uh, receivers who can attack you in complementary ways, right? Right, yeah. Um, I think it fits together nicely. It really does. Well, it's, it's the system, right? And, you know, you get Brandon Cooks coming in essentially to replace Sammy Watkins. Um, what both McVay and I talked to uh, Eric Yarber, wide receivers coach, last week, and they both said, look, this is guy is going to be the X receiver. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the X receiver for you guys um, at home. That That's the three-by-one sets, you know, that the Rams run a lot of. That would be the one isolated receiver. And that's a lot of what Sammy Watkins did. And, you know, McVay has talked a lot about how Watkins would dictate and determine coverages because of his speed and his explosive nature. Well, you've got a guy in Brandon Cooks who, I mean, since his time at Oregon State, which I almost forgot that you probably saw a lot of, you know, this is a guy that has been a very speedy, very fast receiver. He is that downfield kind of threat. And now I think putting him with Robert Woods, with Cooper Cup, you have this sort of three-headed monster where – one game, it could be Brandon Cooks. The next game, it could be Robert Woods. The next, it's Cooper Cup. And a lot of it is probably going to be determined by whatever opponent is going to, what the opponent is going to try to take away. 
and then what you're going to try to attack in terms of a weakness in terms of that opponent. He checks a lot of boxes. There are a few things that are still on my mind in terms of uh, you know training camp and preseason and early in the regular season. Uh, how are the Rams going to compensate in the red zone? He's, he's an undersized right. receiver relative to Sammy Watkins, who produced eight touchdowns and was, outside of Todd Gurley, the primary red zone threat in this offense a year ago. Uh, I think Brandon can play behind defenses. He can play around defenses. He can play through defenses. I'm not sure he's going to play above defenses. Right. And I still think there's the opportunity for that to be layered into the Rams offense in 2018, uh, whether it's uh, from someone like Josh Reynolds, whether it's from one of their three young tight ends emerging. Where are you going to get that red zone production and, and where are you going to put pressure on defenses uh, not vertically down the field, but vertically in the air. Yes, and that's one thing that I think the Rams are still going to have to figure out. I mean, you mentioned Josh Reynolds, the guy at six foot three, uses that frame pretty well uh, when he is out there. But uh, Gerald Everett, I think, has got to be a guy that steps up and kind of takes that role. I mean, obviously, last year you think about when he came in and what the conversation was. It's oh, this guy is probably the the Jordan Reed of this offense. You know, Jordan Reed being the tight end in Washington that McVay utilized so well. And so it's now, all right, you're going into year two, tight end, obviously one of the most difficult positions to adjust to going from college to the NFL. How can Gerald Everett become that kind of player? If he's able to, then that really, I think, gives the Rams that red zone threat. The other part about the trade that I know intrigues all of us is how do you handle having another top-tier receiver who's going to command compensation only have one year of contractual control left? Yes. And yes, we know that the franchise tag could be an option, but there are plenty of other candidates on the Rams roster who might be in line to demand that as mm -hmm. well. So it, it creates a similar situation, albeit uh, back in time compared to where the Rams were at the end of training camp with Sammy Watkins uh, last year. But there, there's a few things that I find fascinating. One, the communication and the thought process and the lockstep between the coaching staff and the front office right now seems to be as good as you'll find in the NFL. I agree with that. To the point where McVay expressed an interest and a very clear vision about why he wanted a player and here are the reasons why. And the front office is, one, willing to part with their draft capital to make that work. And then, you know, shout out to someone like Tony Pastors, who I think uh, deserves a lot of credit this offseason for making the dollars and the cents work, not mm -hmm. just for this season, but for many seasons beyond, so that the puzzle continues to fit together. The other thing is, it seems to me, I'm not getting this from anywhere, this is just my own conclusion, the Rams are potentially exploiting a little bit of a market inefficiency right now, which is they will part with uh, draft pieces in, in this future year, whatever year that is, mm -hmm. and roll the dice on things working out in the intermediate and the long term with uh, their roster pieces, such that if they sign them, if they franchise them, great you can move forward. If you lose them, as you do with someone like Tremaine Johnson, Sammy Watkins, the current structure in the league is such that you get compensation picks in future years that alleviates some of the damage that's done in terms of your remaining resources. And the way that Les Snead and company went about free agency this year, you can tell they were very careful about which pieces they wanted to acquire in what you would uh, 
term unrestricted free agency, right? Yes. That would yeah. negate some of the returning compensation that they lost for losing pieces like like Tremaine and like Sammy Watkins. Um, they made trades rather than spending big bucks in free agency mm -hmm. so that the net result is, hey, we lost players to free agency. There should be draft compensation in future years. We won't know if it plays out exactly as they expected for uh, another period of time, but there's very good reason to believe that's part of their thinking and they're, they're leveraging it well. Right, and even the Indomitian Sioux signing, because he was released from Miami, when you look at it that way, the Rams are not necessarily going after players whose contracts had expired, mm -hmm. and instead you're, you're, you're losing those players to free agency, and that's why in the calculation you still, at least right now, and nobody seems to know what this formula is, but whatever it is, right now it seems that the Rams would receive a couple of third-round picks because of the guys that they lost in Sammy Watkins and Tremaine and Johnson. And just to spell that out a little further, if Ndamukong Sue had not been cut, if he came under the open market under different circumstances, it's possible the Rams may not have pursued him as aggressively sure. or to the extent that they did in terms of dollars for the very reasons we just laid out. Right. Now, it may have made sense for them to still do so, um, but because of the circumstances that he presented uniquely, they're able to pay him for one big one-year contract that I think will have great benefits on the field, and then we can talk about those momentarily, but yeah. also uh, keep you in a very good position from a draft and a salary cap standpoint moving forward in this window of opportunity that we all sense has arrived. Yes, especially because of the way you have now, and Snead talked about this last week, you have a young quarterback that is on the third year of what is a five-year deal because of that, uh, that fifth-year option that you have with the first round. Mm -hmm. pick and because of that it's a cost-controlled quarterback that is good those are hard to find in this league we saw in this division Seattle kind of take advantage of that same sort of window and get their championship and almost and some say they should have get a second championship in that window with that young quarterback on that cost-controlled contract so what that allows you to do is go out and get players like a Marcus Peters, like an Aqib Tlaib, like an Dominican Sue, like a Brandon Cooks, because it means that you can all you can get those guys on your roster. You can maybe keep some of them for the foreseeable future, and you can also keep guys who are already on your roster, like the Aaron Donalds of the world, like Todd Gurley, who I mean, you're coming up on that fifth year option with him next year, so that's something that I'm sure will start to get brought up as things go on um, maybe even in the offseason programming beginning next week but now with th the fact that you have a quarterback and this is something that I think sometimes might get lost the quarterback is so important in this league and everybody always says that but the cost controlled quarterback is almost even more essential to creating a, a type of championship window because once that once this is over you're I, I saw this on a tweet, and uh, it was last week, a couple weeks ago, and I wish I could remember who tweeted it. But it was basically, in that quarterback's rookie contract window, you want to put pieces around him so that he can excel. 
once that quarterback gets to the second contract, it's like, all right, now we are relying on you as the quarterback to elevate the pieces around you. Then you become the Aaron Rodgers or the Tom Brady. Exactly. We're winning because of you. Right. Yes. Yes, and not just with you. And so right now the Rams are trying to maximize that time that they have right now with Jared Goff in this cost-controlled environment. Pass me that cup, will you? And okay. apologies to our audience that's just listening, uh, streaming <laughs> audio and, and doesn't see this. But here's how I contextualize it. This cup is Kirk Cousins. Yes, how many Rams Pro Bowlers can you fit into this cup for the same dollar amount that the Minnesota Vikings are paying Kirk Cousins? Well, they're paying him $28 million right now, so... For the time being, Goff goes in there, yeah. Gurley goes in there, yeah. Aaron Donald goes yes. in there, Marcus Peters goes in yeah. there, Keeb Tlaib goes in there, LaMarcus Jones. I mean, before we're even halfway full, you've yeah. got all of these. And that's that's to me, is symbolic of where the Rams are right now and why... Uh, you might say they're they're going all in like that character in Rounders, you know. They, like this is this is a, a great opportunity, but they're not. I don't sense mortgaging uh, future potential to make it all go in 2018. Right. No, and I feel that same way. And that's despite the fact that the Rams did trade this first round pick and. I'll say this. I was a little bit surprised that they were willing to part with the first-round pick in general. Oh, absolutely. It, it just basically because, and I think this is the way I sort of rationalized it to DeMarco um, on the last Between the Horns, you have in that five-year span a cost-controlled impact player. So whether that player comes at edge rusher, which now it is sort of still a need that the Rams have out there because, uh, you know, you've shipped off Robert Quinn. Connor Barwin has apparently taken a visit with the Arizona Cardinals. So, yes, they do have Samson Abicom, and there are other linebackers on this roster like Matt Longacre, but, you know, you don't have that... I don't know, established, you know, guy that is thought of as a really supremely good edge rusher on this roster anymore. So that's one position I thought that they could target. Another would have been inside linebacker, which is, you know, another place that the Rams created a need by trading Alec Ogletree to the New York Giants. And then I even thought wide receiver could be a position that the Rams might target there at the sort of tail end of the first round. And again, you get that player under the cost controlled thing for the next five years and I thought about it because Aaron Donald is coming up Marcus Peters is coming up in some ways you know um, uh, Todd Gurley again somebody that's coming up now they didn't take that approach which is fine and instead you've gotten a player in Brandon Cooks who has averaged over 1100 yards over the last three seasons and I think eight touchdowns also averaged over the last three seasons and so because of that, that's a player that is a first-round impact player and is probably going to give you more bang this season than any rookie would have been able to do. I mean, you can take the draft picks from this class that the Rams have traded away and just replace their spot on the board with the actual names of starters that the Rams are going to have on the field in 2018. Yeah. Now, what you don't get is what you're talking about, the longevity of cost-controlled years over the course of a rookie contract. And there are still certain, I wouldn't say glaring needs, but obvious needs in terms of uh, positions on the 53-man roster and even on the starting depth chart yes. that need to be plugged. Yeah. And so I think it's reasonable to uh, look at that pick 23, especially when you know that there's going to be at least four, maybe five quarterbacks taken ahead of you mm -hmm. in a position that you don't need. And that really feels more like a top 18 pick maybe mm -hmm. with the potential to trade up using some of your later round capital and grab a sh what you hope is a surefire starter for the next five years. Um, 
but I think we'll see the results play out. It seems to be a vote of confidence in what the Rams have in-house at linebacker and a few other positions and what the Rams feel like their defense is going to look like and going to accomplish even if you're willing to fortify a position group that was already strong wide receiver at the expense of some depth elsewhere, be it at linebacker or offensive line. Well, you could say the same thing about defensive line, too. I mean, you were pretty strong there. I think nose tackle was a position that the Rams were going to have to target regardless. And it's honestly a position that they still may target because you want a player to be able to get in there and be that kind of rotational guy with with Sue that who is going to start out as the 3-4 nose tackle. Fine. But... Um, I think from that standpoint, you already have in the arguably the best interior pass rusher in the game in Aaron Donald. Now, you've added somebody who you might have said was the second or third best interior pass rusher in the game in Sue. And so because of that, you've made rushing from the interior such a strength that the outside pass rushers may not need to be quite as world-changing, if you will, in order to try to get to the quarterback because you, even if that guy is coming around the edge in a way that's not necessarily as flat as somebody as a Robert Quinn, if the quarterback tries to step up, one of two guys is going to be in their face, and maybe it's one of three guys with Michael Brockers. There's a vision behind the scenes that yes. has been sold to the likes of Aqib Tlaib and especially Indomitian Sue that we are not privy to yet. We probably won't be through training camp. We probably won't be through the preseason. We'll see it in week one and week yeah. two and week three. But there is a vision there that I am beyond excited about because for Indomitian Sue to take less money and way less money when you consider California taxes yes, <laughs> and, and play that position, which he didn't need to do at this stage of his career, next to Aaron Donald, which he didn't need to do at that stage of his career, on a one-year deal, which he didn't necessarily need to do. That's a choice. Just like Aqib Tlaib made a choice to pick L.A. and Wade Phillips. And how refreshing is it? How exciting and, and exhilarating is it to be a choice, a destination choice yes. for veterans that want to win big at this stage of their career. It's it's a different feeling. And, you know, I mean, especially having covered this team for the last four seasons, that's a very kind of different thing. And actually, Alden Gonzalez basically wrote exactly what you just said on ESPN.com, and I was reading it. And what's I interesting... I haven't read it yet, Alden, I will, but just so you don't think... No, don't read it, actually. Okay, very good. I shouldn't have read it myself, either. <laughs> you know, Alden and I, we're actually friends. So anyway, but the, the point of what I mean is here that... It, it's just interesting the way that thing shifted and the way it has shifted pretty quickly. You know, it, it took a new coach mm -hmm. and obviously getting some things done on the field that, you know, you say, okay, the Rams really are a contending team. But, I mean, I think part of it is where this city is and how the weather is and, you know, all of the uh, other things that come with being in L.A., especially when you're somebody like Ndamukong Sue and you have other interests outside of football, which are, I think, very fair for any player because there's only so much time that you're going to be able to spend as a football player. 
player. We said similar things about Andrew Whitworth, I think, yes. about a year ago when yeah. he made the decision that he made. Um, but one more thought on, on Sue and Donald, and that is, you know, it's it's Olsen and Greer. It's it's the interior portion of Fearsome Foursome mm-hmm. in terms of if you look for a comp for what they're setting out to do and the caliber of players that they are, it's very, very difficult to find a, a historical precedent for it. Uh, and we hope that pr- their production is unprecedented. Yeah. And that would but be, it's cool that they're doing it in Los Angeles. Oh, absolutely. For yeah. that very reason. Yeah, maybe we should go back to the blue. <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to talk about uniforms. Maybe we should go back to the blue helmet, you know, well, white it's on, horns. Well, it's on my mind because totally I finally white. got around to watching the Fearsome Foursome <laughs> documentary on NFL Network, which yeah. was phenomenal. It kind of had been uh, in my in my back pocket to do for a, a while, but I had the chance this offseason to watch it, and it was uh, it was phenomenal. So to see that um, that old film and then... Uh, put it in the context of what the Rams have assembled on their defensive front. Uh, who are the outside pieces? Uh, still to be determined, potentially. Right. But uh, when you combine them with Brockers, we know what that interior is going to look like. And it's going to look like uh, something the, the NFL has very rarely, if ever, seen before. Yes, and I think that's something that could be pretty special. Um, but I do want to kind of go back to Brandon Cooks mm-hmm. and something that you sort of brought up yourself. I mean, him as a college player, what do you remember about him being in college? Well, uh, he had the ability to get vertical, and he had a quarterback who could get it there, who just happens to be on the Rams roster. Yes, right now this is Sean true. Manning. And he played for Mike Riley, who is one of my all-time favorite college football coaches to cover, and who was a bit of a self-described dinosaur in terms of the way he utilized his personnel offensively, uh, still in favor of a fullback and a tight end, things that very few uh, college programs, especially in the Pac-12, were even doing that late in his career. Um, but But Brandon was the threat that that made it all work. Hmm. I mean, he was that special ingredient that they've had, truthfully, trouble replacing there in Corvallis in subsequent years uh, because of what he could do uh, stretching the field vertically and horizontally and being so dynamic. So uh, it was no coincidence that after he stopped here in Los Angeles to be introduced, he went right to Corvallis. Uh, I I think that's pretty cool that he and Mannion and Hecker still have uh, deep ties to that program and that university, and it helps that their college coach, Mike Riley, is back now as an assistant. So... Uh, all good things for Brandon Cooks and uh, players like Marcus Peters, too, kind of gravitating back to the West Coast. I do think that is something in free agency that plays in the Rams' favor if uh, the tax code and other elements <laughs> don't necessarily uh, help. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially if you brought this up with Sue. I mean, like, his one of his other options was Tennessee. So, you know, when you're talking about tax codes. But, yeah, I know. Okay, no, tax code. No, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, ta- no, no, no. Nashville, I, as a town, yeah. it's a great town. And, like, I've been there a few times, more times than I have to most places. But, like, Nashville, you all you can always have a good time Side of the Rams' most recent division-clinching victory. That's true. It makes it even better. One other thought on Cooks before we let that go, and that's his age. Mm-hmm. I mean, to put it in context, he's actually younger than Cooper Cup. Yes. So if he is a long-term piece of this franchise, which I think is definitely the intention, uh, given what they traded to acquire his rights... Uh, he's got a lot of tread on those tires. Yeah, and that, I think, is definitely one of the factors for why you even give up a first-round pick. I mean, it was funny, last week, 
um, when we were talking to him after you know he got into the building and was sort of introduced to a couple of different people, he sat down with us and he was saying that the family, his, he and his family now kind of joke like, man, it's almost like you've been drafted in the first round three times mm-hmm. because he was drafted obviously in the first round by the Saints, then gets traded for a first round pick by the Patriots and now traded once again for a first round pick to get here to Los Angeles. So I have been asked, and you probably have too, like any uh, concerns to use the word loosely that this is his third team in three years and I think it kind of goes hand in hand with some of the quote-unquote red flags that have been associated with Ndamukong Sue and Marcus Peters right. to leave. There's a common theme I think in this group that has that has added uh, to the Rams roster and that is uh, devalued for whatever reason mm-hmm. whether it's uh, upcoming salary or on the field uh, concerns or age or whatever it is that allowed the Rams to swoop in and make them a part of their future. And I thought it was intriguing that Sean McVay and Les Snead in their introductory press conferences for these men went out of their way to, to I think, counter that narrative, to yes. debunk it a little bit, to, to not address it head on, but just tangentially to say, we did our vetting. And one of the things that we were impressed with in acquiring this particular person is how well their their coaches and their fellow players uh, spoke of them and how much they love football. Yes. And you can tell that's really essential to uh, their evaluation process, be it draft or free agency, is, is they want a particular kind of person in terms of how they approach their craft. Mm-hmm. And so there are certainly concerns, uh, I guess you would say, about how the new pieces are going to fit into a locker room, how you're going to manage personalities and egos and all these other sorts of things. Who knows? I mean, depending on how the season goes, that could play out wonderfully or it could backfire in in any range of options in between. Yes. But these are are calculated risks, I guess you would say, that the uh, front office and the coaching staff are taking that they feel good about. They feel like they're getting pieces that are devalued maybe unfairly Mm -hmm. that uh, by giving them a clean slate and a positive environment here in Los Angeles they might have the opportunity to thrive and I think that's that's what struck me most about the opening comments uh, that the coaching staff in the front office made about the players they've acquired is you've heard this publicly we found this in our research, and that's why we took the steps that we did. Well, I think especially with Brandon Cooks, and I have gotten that a couple of times, the, okay, this is his third team that he's been traded. Like, why is this a thing for him? And I, from what everybody said, it can't be character. And I think part of it is the two teams that he's played for are teams with Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks who have played with a bunch of different wide receivers, and each year those guys are fine, you know? Mm -hmm. And so now you're bringing Cooks into a different situation, I think, where he can help elevate the quarterback's game rather than the other way around, if that kind of makes sense, right? And so you want this to be a long-term partnership, but I think just in terms of the character with Cooks, I don't ever recall hearing Les Snead talk about a player in terms of their character the way he described Brandon Cooks in that opening press conference where he said if in this vetting process you know what people were saying to me about Brandon Cooks if somebody said half of what they said about my about Brandon Cooks about my son mm-hmm. I would be one jack father mm-hmm. and so we were actually interviewing Snead last mm-hmm. week and I I said, you know, okay, you said if somebody said some of the things that, and he said, no, no, no. I said if somebody said 50% 
of what they said because that's just how good Cook's character was in this vetting process. So I think, you know, from that standpoint, the three teams in three years always been traded, this, that, and the third. I, I don't think that's a concern. I don't think anything has to do with character for why he's been traded. We, we all hope that's true. Yes. And apart and aside from whether or not it is, one unifying theme that I see is, is timing and motivation. So let's take 2019, 20 and beyond out of it. Whatever happens contractually in dollars and cents will, will take care of itself for this year and this year only. How supremely motivated do you think Marcus Peters is? Oh, goodness. How supremely motivated do you think Brandon Cooks is? Right. How supremely motivated do you think Adamic and Sue is? And maybe to a slightly lesser extent, but I still think to an extent a key to lead because of his current contractual situation. Uh, these guys have every professional reason to put their best football out on the field for the 2018 Rams. Absolutely. And what's sort of funny about that is... All four of those guys will be playing a team they once played for at some point during the season. For Sue, it's going to be the Lions, not Miami. But for Tlaib, you're playing Denver. For Marcus Peters, it's going to be Kansas City. And for Brandon Cooks, it's going to be New Orleans. Yeah. So that's that you talk about motivation. But that, yeah, that's one yeah. that's one big that's one game that they'll probably circle on their schedule. Mm-hmm. The coaching staff will do their best to not let them think yes. that, that way or that far in advance. Uh, but in terms of the their stature in the game and the financial rewards that they stand to reap. It's in all of their best interests, just like it is everyone's, but but no more so than this particular group to have career years. Absolutely. With those four guys, do you think the Rams have done enough to repeat as NFC West champions? I know this is like this that's a really ridiculous yes. question to ask yes, like I do. six months basically before the season starts, but I, I do, but I, I say I say it in this context. One, we haven't seen the draft yet. And True. Uh, to me a team like uh, let's say New Orleans is a great example of the impact that a that a draft class can make. Um, there, there's also so much else that can happen. Uh, some not very good news with respect to Reuben Foster and the San Francisco 49ers Mm -hmm. in the headlines right now. You know, all these different dynamics. Um, Sam Bradford sounds like setting out to play 16 games for the Arizona Cardinals. We'll see. They've also been voted the team most likely to jump up in the draft and take a quarterback. So without knowing how that's all going to shake out around the division, it's tough to say. But given the rosters on paper, absolutely, I do think the Rams are and should be the favorite to repeat. That being said, I like the way that if it was less or Sean, I'm not sure uh, you can tell me who phrased it. We're 11 wins behind where we were a season ago. I believe that was Sneed, yeah. I like that. I think that's, me too. I think that's a great way to approach the 2018 season because there's no doubt in my mind this year will be harder. Yes. The only thing, and we haven't seen the schedule yet. We're going to talk about sure, the regular yep. season schedule. We haven't seen how that's going to line up. But it's, it's going to be harder. In every respect except the miles traveled to get to your games, it's going <laughs> yes. to be harder. I think when <laughs> you trade the NFC North for the NFC East, like you do from last year's schedule to this year, and you have a healthy Aaron Rodgers, I think that's tougher. When you trade the AFC oh, yeah. South for the AFC West, I think that is tougher. And I think even though 
Seattle is perceived to be on, on the decline. I'm not sure I subscribe to that until I see what it actually looks like on the field for them. They still have one of the best home field advantages in the NFL. Uh, how, how quickly we forget about how good David Johnson is and what a difference he can mean oh, yeah. to an Arizona Cardinals team when we didn't see him in either meeting with that franchise last year. And then, apart and aside from what happens off the field with the 49ers and the circumstances they're dealing with, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't lost yet. No. And I, I don't think you can overlook that and what Kyle Shanahan and company are doing there either. So, uh, yes, that was a long way of answering your question. Yes, they are and they should be the favorite, but they're going to have to be better than they were last year to accomplish what they accomplished last year. And I think they know that. You know, I think the the 11 wins behind thing that Les Snead said, that's a good example of, okay, we can't just say, well, we were division champions last year. You know what? We're going to be able to just go in and do it. And Sean McVay said this exact same thing. Like, we are going to have to earn Every single day, we're going to have to work harder than we did every single day and take it one day at a time in order to reach our goals. And I think one other element that is probably a motivating factor is, yeah, you made it to the playoffs, but you lost in the first round to a wild card team. You lost to the sixth seed. Now, there you can say whatever you want about Atlanta. They are a championship caliber team because they had made it to the Super Bowl the year before. You have that playoff experience. You have an experienced quarterback in Matt Ryan, who knows what he's doing, that's always going to make them a threat, especially when he has Julio Jones to throw to. But at the same time, now you're going to be able to say, all right, you might have liked that last year. Let's work harder. Let's do what we have to do in order to push past that. And so that, I think, is going to be a big thing for these Rams. And oh, by the way, your crossover opponents are the division champions. Exactly. New Orleans. So just in terms of fortifying the schedule, uh, you're going to, you go from being the hunt to the hunted absolutely in a harder schedule and a division that I think collectively will be better than it was a year ago I agree with that all right so let's go to the preseason schedule since we are sort of talking about schedules Mm -hmm. already and we found that out um, yesterday which is fun to sort of see a little preview of the things to come and we can also kind of start to plan our lives a little bit (laughs) Um, first game at Baltimore that is going to be a long trip especially for the preseason but it is what it is second game versus Oakland in the LA Coliseum that's going to be a fun matchup of course Mm -hmm. because of the Raiders history down here and I think we all know that that's pretty obvious Um, versus Houston at the Coliseum in week three of the preseason and then finish off at Saints for week four. So that's going to be one of two trips, at least, to New Orleans. So do you want kind of high-level thoughts on the schedule first, or do you want, like, matchup reactions? Who cares about the (laughs) matchups? It's preseason, JV. Here's my my first thing, because... uh, my first thought went to the, the fans and the audience in terms of the product that you're going to get at the Coliseum for the two home uh, preseason games. One, Oakland because of the natural connection there. Uh, two, because we didn't get to see Deshaun for Houston last year. True. Or J.J. Watt. Yeah. And then, but primarily because to the extent that we see starters and regulars play for the Rams in the preseason, and based on last year's precedent and the success that McVeigh and the Rams had with health and injury by resting starters throughout preseason games, I don't suspect we'll see much of frontline players this preseason. I highly doubt it. Especially as they've added some, some other veterans. That being said, to the extent that regulars do play, to the extent that Jared Goff plays series and that you do see Brandon Cooks and, and Dominican Sue and Marcus Peters and some of these other 
players that we're all going to be excited to see in Rams colors for the first time, they're going to play most likely in those weeks two and three games, right? True. Yes. Very little week one, not at all week four. Yes, especially so with the rosters at 90. It's kind of cool that your home games are two and three because yeah. I think the vast majority of the reps that the regulars take will be in front of the Coliseum crowd, which is a nice reward for, for season ticket holders. That's true. Um, kind of what you hit on, I think, more travel than you would ideally see in your preseason schedule. There are a few behind-the-scenes factors that played into that. The Rams did the best they could, like every yes. every team does with its preseason schedule. Um, and then I don't attribute any significance in terms of schematic advantage, disadvantage, uh, seeing Oakland and New Orleans on the preseason schedule, knowing they'll be on the regular season schedule as well. I think both in terms of personnel and scheme, it's going to look so different in August than it will in week whatever. Yes. That To me, that's not much of a factor. I will say I thought Oakland, L.A., Gruden, McVay would make for a great week one Monday Night Football window two Ooh. opener. And I don't know if the NFL schedule makers will take into consideration the fact that they're playing week two of the preseason and then to start week one with that matchup, whether or not those are kind of like two magnets maybe repelling each other. Yeah. Um, but I thought that would have been a wonderful, especially because of Gruden's connections to Monday Night Football and all, all of that. Yep. And because they like a West Coast window for that second Monday Night mm-hmm. Football opener. I thought... Uh, Either Oakland or even San Francisco, like we saw in 2016, would be a great way for the Rams to open uh, this season on Monday Night Football in Game 2. Yeah, so we'll see about that. But I think the Gruden-McVay thing, that's going to be fun, especially in the preseason where, I mean, the game matters, but the result ultimately does not as much as the process of what is going on on the field and what you can evaluate there. I think that's going to be a nice little thing to see those two guys kind of reunite on the field. Um, Quick note about Baltimore. It was reported uh, this morning by ESPN um, that out of Baltimore that there's a chance the Rams and Ravens may practice together um, before that preseason game, which will be on a Thursday, August 9th. So if that becomes official, we will obviously let you know. But that would definitely be an interesting aspect to the preseason, especially early on in training camp. It makes sense if you're traveling three time zones to play a preseason game, you'll probably have to go a day earlier for for health and safety reasons. And so while you're there, you don't want to maybe necessarily give away a day of the preseason from a productivity standpoint. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why it makes sense for the Rams to do it that way. And it also means we might see some chain snatching (laughs) because Marcus, not Marcus, uh, uh, God. Yes, Akeem Tlaib and Michael Crabtree. Crabtree now plays for the Baltimore Ravens. So we probably would not see it on the preseason game because I kind of highly doubt Akeem Tlaib is going to play week one of the preseason just because, I mean, what does he need to play in week one of the preseason for? But on that practice field, we could see some chain snatching. It's going to be an important training camp and and, uh, preseason game schedule for Robert Griffin. And given the connection between him and this Rams franchise because of the RG3 trade, it's interesting that he is – his career is essentially on its last legs, and he's going to have to have a good month of August to secure that backup role in Baltimore, continue his uh, his NFL career. No question. And uh, and part of that will come against uh, the Rams. Yeah. So. 
That is definitely. It's always an interesting connection whenever RG3 is going to play uh, the Rams. All right, so you sort of brought this up um, before, but I like this topic because what? let's do a little schedule wish list. And regular you already, season. Yes, regular yes. season. We expect that the regular season schedule will be announced at some point next week. It's usually the week before the draft, and they have not made the announcement about when the announcement will happen, so we don't quite know just yet. But we do expect it will be next week before the draft. And so you already sort of brought up one Monday night football, that opening week, either Oakland or the Rams or San Francisco or the Rams. Where, where else are you sort of thinking is a dream? Okay, so fortunately on this year's schedule in terms of opponents, there aren't many like dangerous road back-to-back trips that you would have to be concerned with hmm. that, that would in any way resemble, for instance, at Jacksonville, at London, by at New York yes. in a span of four weeks that the Rams navigated wonderfully last year. It's true. But aside from saying maybe you hope you don't go to Chicago and Detroit back-to-back, yeah. there, aren't, there aren't two road games that you necessarily absolutely have to separate for the, for the health and safety of your team. Right, and That's which nice. is interesting because, I mean, in the last couple of years since the Rams have been out to L.A., they have had a really, really tough travel schedule, in part because of that London mm-hmm. game, but also because you've played the AFC East and then the NFC East. So, you know, going all the way, and then, you know, the AFC South last year where you had to go to Tennessee, to Jacksonville. So you're not doing that this year because you're playing the NFC North and then the AFC West. West. So that's a nice aspect of the schedule. Here's my number one scheduling request. Though. Okay. I want to go to Seattle before the month of November. Ooh, well, good definitely, luck with that. Definitely before <laughs> December. But this franchise has traveled to Seattle often enough late in the calendar. It's time for that to spin the other way. I think a week, if it's not going to be, you know, week one, Rams, San Francisco 49ers, which I just sort of tend to think it's going to be, especially because you have the Jimmy G factor and you have all the factors of the Rams offseason. I feel like Rams Niners week one would be like something that the schedule makers would want. And I think you should, because look at the four games that they've played since the Rams came back to Los Angeles. Uh, week one in San Francisco 2016, Goff wasn't even active. Correct. And that then, was one of the worst games I've ever covered. And, then, <laughs> and there have been some bad ones. And then the, the, the comeback game at the end of the Chip Kelly, uh, Colin Kaepernick yeah. era was not much to write home about from the Rams' standpoint nope. either. The Thursday night game last year was phenomenal. It was. It might be good reason for networks to be attracted to that matchup again here early in 2018. But then last year, the finale at the Coliseum, I mean, it hardly even counts. In my mind, the Rams went 11-4 and four in, the, uh, in the regular season I last year. I concur, yes. Um, because I, I'll never count that game. So th- my point is that these great rivals haven't had the opportunity or have not put their best foot forward very often through two years, uh, aside from that one Thursday night game. So I, I think it would be good for both franchises, not that I'm necessarily concerned about the fortunes of the 49ers at yeah. the moment, uh, to, to get that ramped up to full throttle, I think, early in this calendar year. I think yeah. that would be awesome. But the the I would like to see Seattle in Seattle, like week one, week two uh, as well. I think that would be fun to go up there. And Seattle's a great town. And, you know, when we were in St. Louis, we would usually spend two days out there because the flight's longer. Now we don't. So just to get into Seattle in an earlier time of year where Before it's a little bit nicer. degree drizzle sets in. Yes, yeah. exactly. I think that would be really, really I mean, fun. The, the weather games you would like to avoid, if at all possible, would be that one mm-hmm. uh, at Chicago. Yes. At Denver, right? Right. Aside from that, are there any major No, because Detroit's concerns? in a dome. 
and where else are you going? You're not going to Kansas City. You're playing Kansas City in Mexico. Uh, you play at Oakland. Um, that's fine, and those would be the only other concerns. I mean, because you're going to New Orleans as well, and again, like that, you're inside a dome. So I think from a playing standpoint, you're probably going to be okay. Okay, one last one. I want right. to see four scheduled primetime games. Four. That's my hope. With the, p- the potential to flex maybe some more. Okay. But a Monday, a Thursday, and then I, I think the Rams are deserving of two Sunday night Locks. I think. No, I, I think so too. I mean, I Philadelphia and Los Angeles to me, given the game they played last year and where they are in their respective franchises, a sense I think is a surefire lock for prime time. Oh yeah. I would have to think. Yeah. And then whether it's uh, the matchup of Cal quarterbacks Aaron Rodgers and Jared Goff, or whether it's uh, Minnesota and Kirk Cousins against Sean McVay again, another you know two projected teams to contend for the NFC Championship or whether it's division games against the likes of uh, San Francisco or even McVeigh and Gruden. I think there are so many options out there that would appeal to a national audience. I think it would be cool to see primetime games two Sundays, one Monday, one Thursday on the initial schedule release with yeah. the potential to flex another one if things go the way we hope they will. Well, even New Orleans, I think, when you talk about just the quarterback matchup and the fact that both of those teams were playoff teams last year, that that's another one that I think might be a candidate for a Sunday mm-hmm. night game. And I think it's especially – it's going to be an interesting right. matchup because that really – in that game that the Rams played in New Orleans and, no, it did not go very well in 2016, but that was Jared Goff's best game as a rookie. I remember, you know, talking to Sean McVay about Jared Goff really before Goff was able to get in the building a lot of the time point to that New Orleans tape as one as some of the things that he saw that were like okay you can work with this with Jared Goff you know you're seeing some of the things that he can do and he played pretty well in that first half and then yes obviously the wheels came off in the second and things got maybe a little bit personal between Sean Payton and Greg Williams at the end there just a tad um but Brandon uh Brandon Williams. Brandon Cooks played in that game. He did as well. Exactly. But he has already made his return to New Orleans. Yes. So even though that's a that's a nice rich storyline, it's not the first time. Right. Not in the preseason, not in the regular season. Yeah. He will go back as a member of the Rams. Any road trip specifically, no matter what time of year you're looking forward to. On this year's schedule. Yeah. Uh, I thought uh, Mile High was pretty cool in the 2016 preseason game the Rams played there. I think that's a special place in the National Football League, so I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, I have not called a game, although I've gone to a game in Soldier Field, and I think it's interesting that it's... I get the sense the Bears are trying to be this year's Rams. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do too. So I think that's a sneaky good game and a, and a really great road trip on the Rams schedule. I would encourage Rams fans when the schedule does come out to maybe put a marker on that one. I do and, love and, Chicago and, too. Uh, and, you know, earmark a trip uh, to Chicago and selfishly another schedule wish list. I hope there's a Notre Dame home game ah, on that Saturday yes. uh, before Soldier yes. Field so that I might be able to double dip. Okay, yeah. I'm looking forward to New Orleans. I like going to New Orleans, and it's kind of nice that we get to go there twice. Um, I mean, New Orleans obviously is a great town. It's a fun town. But the last time we were there in 2016, so, you know, as one does when one goes to New Orleans, I had a couple of hurricanes and a couple of adult beverages. Miles Simmons hurricanes. Yeah, exactly. So we were, a lot of us um, that were on that trip were at Pat O'Brien's and they have, you know, the dueling pianos. 
And Jim Hill of CBS2, who everybody knows, and if you don't know him, I don't know why you don't, was also there. So the no one who knows us doesn't know Jim Hill. I know, right? Like, <laughs> if you know who we are, you're really sure. Um, but so he is there. The next, it must have been the Sunday, finally, you know, we were on the bus to the game or whatever. And he comes up to me and he goes, Miles, man, you knew every word to every song at that piano bar. That was just awesome. And I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot that you were there. <laughs> so that's my fun Jim Hill story from New Orleans. You know what I like is that, you know, this would have been an, an ideal podcast for DeMarco Farr to be on. So you could have talked uh, and Dominic and Sue and Aaron Donald in a more intelligent, in-depth fashion. But, <laughs> I think we had a nice, intelligent but, discussion. Don't but, sell yourself short. But you, you just nicely compensated for DeMarco's uh, storytelling, which is a staple of this podcast, <laughs> with, with one of your own. Because I can't bring that to the Between the Horns. So uh, the, the DeMarco Farr uh, presence was felt by virtue. Of your storytelling. Well, right I on. appreciate it. And the other thing, I mean, like going to Baltimore week one, that in the preseason is not ideal, but I will say this Baltimore is some of the best seafood that you will ever, ever eat in this world, and it's phenomenal. And my grandfather lives there, so that will be a nice trip, and it's a nice little added extra thing for me. So uh, let's check uh, the Orioles' schedule, see if Camden Yards is open. Oh, yeah. That week. That's a great question. That right? is a good thing. Yes, a little baseball. Because that was one of the actual the things about last year's schedule that kind of bothered me was that there were no NBA games ever when, when we were in these away towns. Like, I remember looking at Minnesota in particular. Um, there were a couple other places that we went, and I was like, man, there's just no NBA at all. So... Yeah. Could have gone across the parking lot to Oracle and seen the dubs if we had had a free night in Oakland. I wouldn't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> For obvious reasons. For pretty obvious reasons, this yeah. Cleveland Cavalier fan. Well, I'm just going to say, not really, but LeBron James, well, I actually, that is the place where they won the first championship in franchise history. So I would like to be able to go there and smell the champagne inside the visitor's locker room that I'm sure still is walking. Better do it quickly because they're moving across the bay to San Francisco. This is true. Um, so... Anything else before we now depart for the people? Uh, no, it's, it's nice to see you. And uh, because the Rams don't have a first or second round draft pick, <laughs> oh, my, my, uh, my spring interest has gone all in on the schedule. Yes. Because uh, for the reasons you mentioned already, uh, one, you can kind of map out your calendar, and two, you can start to plan and anticipate. Yeah. Uh, I think next week is one of the most exciting weeks on the offseason uh, calendar, and we don't know the release date yet, so we have good reason to believe it'll fall somewhere on next week's calendar, and then that sets the table for the draft perfectly. So uh, each of these milestones brings us one step closer to training camp, even to OTAs. That's true. Uh, which uh, workouts next week? Next yes, Monday, yes. Already? Next Monday is the start of the off-season program, which it feels like the players were just there, but it's been a few months, and so it's going to be cool to see all those guys get back in the building. They can finally start talking football with their coaches. I just got an alert. Crabtree to leave round three from, from, a media, from a media source. Michael Crabtree and Aqib Tlaib have chance to renew their bad blood at joint practices in training camp. See? That's what I'm talking about. That's what the people want to see. Some chain snatching. As long as it doesn't get too out of hand. I, I, nobody wants a, like a fight on the East Coast. That, that's, I mean, anywhere, but especially, I mean, like you've already gotten on a plane for like five hours. You don't want to be fighting with people. That's not, that's not necessarily what you want. Um, my last thought, though, before we go, since you did bring up the Cavaliers, LeBron James is the MVP. Hmm. 
I he paid, should be the MVP. I haven't paid close enough attention to the league. What is it, uh, James Harden? Is that yes, James Harden is thought of as the MVP. But if you look at the numbers, LeBron's numbers are all better. He played 82 games for the first time That's in his career in season me. 15. Yeah. And he's got better numbers than James Harden. He should be the was MVP. It, was it last year or two years ago that he took the time off to kind of go... That, you know, I think, was two years ago, yeah, when he went to Miami, yeah. <laughs> which was so weird. But it worked! <laughs> no, it worked, and now he's kind of swung the other way, where yeah. he's going to play, hopefully, every game of the entire regular season and postseason. Yes, let's hope so, for my sake. All right, well, thank you, JB, so much you, for being a part of this. Good to see you, too. And fans, everybody, make sure that you tune into the latest episode of Behind the Grind. JB, have you been watching Behind the Grind? Awesome. Yes. Really, really cool. And... Uh, if I, if I may, just because uh, Kayvon Webster played a portion in one of the early episodes, yes. shout out to Kayvon, one, for his contributions to last year's team, two, for the way he handled, I thought, the acquisitions the Rams have been making this spring like a consummate professional. He was the first to extend congratulations and welcomes to the likes of Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib, somewhere probably knowing in the back of his mind what it might mean for mm-hmm. his professional fortunes and his next move. Uh, today, I think it was announced that Aqib will wear his uh, number 21 yes. from last season. Uh, so, hey, just wish Kayvon all the best. Who knows, maybe we see you again in a Rams uniform before your career is done, but uh, thanks for handling everything like a consummate professional. Absolutely. And one of the more you know impressive players that I've ever met just in terms of his off-the-field interests. He's a published author. He's got himself a food truck now. He's got a trucking company. This is a really, really interesting guy, multi-layered guy, and it was a pleasure getting to know him apart over the last year. But yes, Behind the Grind, next episode premieres tonight on Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific Time Facebook Watch. Make sure you check it out. The guys went to Pittsburgh and got to visit with Aaron Donald. You're going to get to see the dungeon, his basement, where he started working out as a kid. It's Hmm. some really, really incredible stuff, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it, looking forward to having you guys watch that, too. We will see you next time right here on Between the Horns. Now flex like Aaron Donald. (laughs) 